Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, either in print, on your phone, or some other device, let me encourage you to hold it up with me right now and repeat these words. This is God's Word. I believe what it says is true. It teaches me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Have you ever wondered why you have the name you have? Now I know your parents gave it to you, right? But I'm talking about why did your parents give you the name you have? Most parents agonize over what they're going to name their children. They struggle with it. They pray about it. They work hard to come up with just the perfect name. Now, some of us are named after a relative or or someone famous. Others of us are named our names because our name represents the hopes, the dreams that our parents have for us. Some of us are given our name simply because our parents like how it sounded. They like the name. Why are you named what you're named? We recently were blessed with our fifth grandchild, Jocelyn Grace. I've got to confess to you, she has to be the most beautiful one-month-old in the entire world. She is absolutely gorgeous. I love that little girl. Mary wanted to give birth at home. It's crazy, isn't it? But then they moved from Nashville to Charlotte, and when they moved to Charlotte, they were only there for about a month, so she decided she was going to go to a birthing center. And she had her baby in a pool at a birthing center. A pool, like a jacuzzi tub. They actually had shirts at the place where she gave birth that said, I was born in a pool, I'm actually a fish. I mean, it's crazy. One hour, one hour after Mary gave birth, she went home. What? Now, and I'm not a woman, but let me just say, if I were a woman, I would want to have my baby in a hospital, and I would want to stay there for a month. I would want them to be able to take care of my baby for me and feed me for a month but one hour after she gave birth she went home she named her Jocelyn Grace for for two reasons one she named her Jocelyn in honor of our son who passed away in in May she wanted to remember him to honor him and she named her Grace because it was God's grace that saw us through it was God's grace that saves us it's God's grace that sustained us so so the name Jocelyn Grace means something. It means something very special. Now today we're on our third stop on our Christmas road trip. As we began our Christmas road trip, we discovered that, that Christmas was planned before creation. Before God created anything, before there was anything, God already had Christmas on his mind. When there was nothing, when there was not even time, God already had Christmas on his calendar. Last week, we discovered that that Christmas was promised 
at the fall. When the first man and the first woman sinned against God, they rebelled against God, God already had a plan in place. He gave them a promise that what was broken would be fixed. God promised them that a child would be born that would crush the head of our enemy, Satan, and he would right everything that's wrong. He would restore what was taken from us. But today, as we make our third trip this morning, we're going to see that Christmas was prophesied throughout human history. Over and over again, in God's Word, we see prophecies that a Savior, a Messiah, would be born. We are told where Jesus would be born. We are told how Jesus would be born. We are even told the family to which Jesus would be born. But the prophecy I want us to look at this morning is a prophecy that, that doesn't speak to how he was born or why he was born. It speaks to what his birth can do for us. Because it's a prophecy that speaks of the name that Jesus would be given. You see, names were vitally important to the Hebrews. To the Hebrews, a name represented your character. It represented who you were. And so when we look at the names of Jesus, we are told what Jesus would be like and what Jesus can do for us. Did you know there are over 700 names and titles in the Bible given to Jesus? 700! 700 names and titles. And each of these names, each of these titles, tell us something about his character. They tell us something about what he can do for us, how he can minister to us. Now, and if your Bible is open to Isaiah 9, I want us to begin to unpack this passage. Two verses, verses 6 and 7. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It's on the screen. So let's read what God's Word says through the prophet Isaiah. This is what it says. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. Now when God gave this word to Isaiah, Assyria was the ruling power of the world. And their king was a man by the name of Tiglath-Pileser III. Now that is an amazing name for an arch-villain, isn't it? Tiglath-Pileser. And Assyria was a wicked country. And Tiglath-Pileser was a wicked ruler. But he was a brilliant military strategist. And Assyria was marching around the world, chewing up and spitting out nation after nation. And whoever was not killed would be subjugated to live as slaves of Assyria. And so God's people were living in constant fear that this evil nation would come down, invade their world, and turn their world upside down. 
And in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this fear, God gives his prophet Isaiah a prophecy. A prophecy that that a child would be born. And this child would one day rule. And in contrast to the Assyrians, he would rule with peace and he would rule forever. And over the next several hundred years, other prophets came. And they made promises of a child that was coming. And and when he would come, he would change everything. But no child was born. And around 400 B.C., the prophetic word stopped. Around 400 B.C., there were no more words given by prophets. There were 400 years of silence. And the people of God must have thought that God had somehow forgotten his promise, that that the deliverer wasn't coming. But then, after 400 years of silence in a small, insignificant town called Bethlehem, the silence was shattered by the sound of a baby's cry in an animal feeding trough in a stable. And the child that was to be born, the son that would be given was born, and his name was Jesus. Now I want you to look at the last part of this promise. It says that when he comes, he will rule with fairness and justice. And yet the truth of it is, when we read the last part of this prophecy, I think we would all have to admit that this prophecy hasn't been fulfilled in totality. Because we don't live in a world where justice and fairness rules. I mean, all we have to do is look at our own nation and we will see that that's just not true. Not everybody receives fairness in America. Not everybody always receives justice in America. But there is coming a day when Jesus will rule. And when he rules, he will rule with fairness and he will rule with justice. And everything that is broken will be made right. And I, for one, am looking forward to that day. But until that day comes, Jesus can rule in our heart and in our lives. You see, as we wait for Jesus to set up this kingdom that will last forever and ever, he can rule in our hearts. He can rule in our lives. And as we read this passage, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, we see four benefits that can come to us as Jesus is ruling in our life. And understand, these are practical benefits. Now, as we look at this, it's, teaches us something about who Jesus is. But what I want you to see this morning is is more importantly than that, it teaches us what he can do for us. And so as we look at these four titles, as we look at these four names, I want you to see four things Jesus can do. First of all, Jesus can give us direction for every decision. And the reason is he is the wonderful counselor. Because Jesus is the wonderful counselor, he can give us direction for every decision. And regardless of who you are, regardless of what you believe this morning, I think you would agree with me that that we live in confusing times. 
And in the midst of all this confusion, we have hundreds and and really thousands of so-called counselors who are more than willing to give us their opinion of what is right and what is wrong. I mean, let's be honest. There are so many questions that we have today that they didn't have years ago. I mean, should we live together before we get married? A lot of people do. What about transgender issues and sex change? That's something that we have to address today. Is it okay for my gay friend to get married? And should I go to their wedding to support them? What about smoking pot in in states where it's legal? Is it okay to smoke pot if it's legal? And what about drinking? Is it okay for me to drink if I don't get drunk? Uh, What about watching pornography? If if my spouse and I both agree that it's okay, is it okay for us to watch pornography? And those questions don't even address the questions that we could ask about immigration and about welfare and about things like that. And then what about how we use our personal money? For instance, is it okay for me, if I can afford it, to buy a second home when, when there are people in our nation of plenty that, that don't even have the money to buy their first home. And some people are even struggling with, with putting a roof over their head. And so is it okay for me to have more when people don't have anything? Let's be honest. We are living in confusing times. And the world of Ozzie and Harriet and June and Ward Cleaver are, are no longer here. We're living in the the world of the Simpsons and and the modern family. So so where do we turn for answers? Some of us listen to politicians, not many of us. Some of us do. Some of us listen to the, the TV pundits and the talk show hosts. Some of us listen to our tribe, those people that we are most closely associated with. But the problem is, None of these people are going to be right all the time. And the truth of the matter is, many of these people are wrong all the time. But the good news is, you and I have access to the most wonderful counselor imaginable, Jesus Christ. You see, he is never wrong in the advice he gives. He will never lead you astray. He has counsel for every crisis. He has a a plan for every problem. He has a prescription for every pain because he has direction for every decision. Now, I want you to listen to what the Bible says about his counsel. Isaiah 28. His counsel is wonderful and his wisdom is great. Psalm 73. You guide me with your counsel leading me to a glorious destiny. You see, when we listen to Jesus' counsel, we have a glorious, wonderful destiny in store for us. Now, what is it about Jesus that makes him a wonderful counselor? Well, first of all, he knows what you're going through. In Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. 
There's no situation that you will face that Jesus has not faced. There is no temptation that you will face that Jesus has not faced. Whether it's being betrayed or being wrongly accused or being misunderstood or being abused, Jesus has been there. Jesus knows our internal struggles. He knows our external hurts. He knows what you're going through. And he cares for you. You you see, many of the people who are more than willing to give you advice are going to leave you when things go south. I mean, they're there to walk with you when everything's great, but when things turn south, they head in the opposite direction, but not Jesus. And the reason is, he cares for you. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how tough things are, he is there to encourage you and help you. But there's another reason he's a wonderful counselor. And that is, his counsel is always true. Jesus said this, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the truth. He's not a form of truth, he's not a kind of truth, he is truth. And what he says is true because he is the one who created all. He is the one who determines truth. Truth is not relative Truth comes from the one who created everything. He is the one who finds and founds truth. Jesus will listen to you with compassion. He will help you when things are going difficult. He will cause you to be able to see things in a new light. And when needed, he will confront you with the truth. Unfortunately, there are many people today who aren't listening to the truth. They are listening to all kind of counsel from the world. David said this. He said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Understand there's only one infallible counselor and his name is Jesus. So let me encourage you to make a commitment this morning to listen to his counsel. Follow his advice. In Proverbs 3, verse 6, it says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. If you put him first, he will give you direction. So, so how do you do that? Well, first of all, you got to read this book. I, I mean, you're not going to know what God has to say on an issue unless you make the commitment to get into this book. Second, you have to pray. You need to read this book and then you need to pray and and speak to God because God will speak to you. And he will confirm what his word says to you. And then you have to trust him. Even when your heart may say something else, even when your mind may say something else, you have to trust God. You see, each and every one of us We're going to have to decide who we're going to believe, who we're going to trust. Are we going to trust ourselves? Are we going to trust the the most wise men of this world? Or are we going to trust the one who created it all? He is the wonderful counselor. He will give you direction for every decision you make if 
you will only listen. Second, he will give you strength in every storm. He is the mighty God. You see, that baby that was born in the stable in Bethlehem was and is the all-powerful, almighty God. Adrian Rogers, a, a great pastor who is now in heaven, said this. He said, the infinite became an infant. Listen, Jesus is not a type of God. Jesus is not a kind of God. Jesus is the mighty God. He is the one and only. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the God who created everything, and he is the God who holds everything together. In Jeremiah 32, it says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Did you get that? You made the heavens. You made the earth. If you did this, then nothing is too strong for you. Jesus said this. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus has all powerful. Now what this means to us practically is there is nothing we will ever go through that Jesus cannot handle. There is no storm that we will ever face that Jesus cannot give us the strength to go through that storm. And listen, you will face storms in this life. Storms are a part of life. On January the 7th, we're, we're starting a new series. It's called That Day. It's on the book of Job. And, and it's going to be a, an eight-week series on what do we do when our world falls apart. Because listen to me. There will come a day in each and every one of our lives when our world falls apart. And so what do we do? What, what do we do when we lose our job? What do we do when we go to the doctor and we get the diagnosis of cancer? What do we do when, when all of a sudden, without, without any preparation, someone we know, someone we love, someone we care for dies? What do we do? Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus will give you strength in the midst of the storm. Understand, Jesus will not always take the storm away. And many times in life, he won't take the storm away, but he'll be there with you in the midst of the storm. My wife loves to go places, but she doesn't like to fly. She doesn't like to fly. She is a horrible flyer. This past Tuesday, we, we, we went to New York City to spend several days for a Christmas vacation to one another. And, and on the way, we had a couple of bumps and and as we hit those bumps, my wife looked at me and she said, I'm never flying again. And I said, well, babe, if you never fly again, that's going to limit where we travel. So just understand. And, and if you're never flying again, how are we getting home? So Friday night at 9.15, we went to the airport. We got a late flight so we could have all day on Friday. And we got to the airport. We were getting ready to get on the plane and one of the people at the gate came to us. We were just standing there, came to us and said, I think I can give you better seats. And I'm, I'm a skeptic. I'm a cynic. And I thought, well, our seats are pretty good. Why are you taking our seats? And she went and she checked some things and she gave us seats. And I looked at the numbers and it was aisle three. I said, aisle three. That's first class. I like first class. 
And so we got there, and we were sitting in first class in these plush chairs. And, and let me tell you, first class even smells better. <laughs> I mean, they come to you, and they offer you drinks before you fly. They offer you different food. You know, us commoners, we sit in the back, the far, far back. But royalty, they sit up front. They get served. And so we're here in first class flying, and, and we hit some turbulence. My wife doesn't like turbulence. She despises turbulence. She would say turbulence are the breath of Satan. And so when we hit these turbulence, she looked at me, and she didn't just look at me. She does what she always does when we hit turbulence. She grabbed my arm. And she didn't just grab my arm. She grabbed my arm with her, you know how you women, you, your, your fingernails can come out at certain times? She grabbed my arm with those fingernails and dug them into my arm. And she said, do something. And I went, babe, we're okay. And she said, well, get the pilot to tell us we're, we're okay. And I said, baby, if we weren't okay, he would say, tuck. Put your head between your legs and pray. We're okay. And she said, well, you pray. And so I prayed. And she said, no, I want you to pray that the storm stops, that the turbulence go away. And I said, babe, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe God wants these turbulence here to teach us a lesson? And she said, I don't want to learn the lesson. <laughs> and that's, that's how we are when the storms of life come, isn't it? I mean, we want God to take the storms away, don't we? But the truth of the matter is, most often, most often, God doesn't take the storm away. He just walks with us in the midst of the storm. And He gives us strength as we go through the storm. You see, Jesus gives us Direction for every decision. He'll let you know right and wrong. Jesus gives us strength in the midst of every storm. Third, Jesus gives us care in every circumstance. He is the everlasting Father. You see, this Jesus that was born in Bethlehem didn't have his beginning in Bethlehem. He is the everlasting Father. Uh, there's never been a time when Jesus didn't exist Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is the creator God. If you go back to the beginning of time itself, you will find Jesus. He always has been and he always will be. Jesus had no beginning and he has no ending. Now that's the theological truth. But the practical truth is, Jesus is the Father. Who will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Jesus is the Father who will always be there with us. He is the Father who was there with us as we walked in our past. He is the Father who is there with us as we're walking in our present. And He is the Father who will be with us as we walk into our unknown future. Now, I don't know what kind of father you have had or you have. But I can tell you what kind of father you can have. And that's Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says this, And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
Almighty. Jesus is the Father that, that picks us up when we fall. He hugs us when we're hurting. He corrects us when we mess up. And we never, ever question His love. And there's no problem that's too big for your father to handle. And if you feel like the problem is too big, just give it to him. Because he says, give me your worries and cares because I care for you. Like I said, he'll never leave you. You mess up, you blow it, you turn your back on him, you break his heart. It doesn't matter. Your father will never stop loving you. I love my kids. I, I think it's impossible. I really do. I think it's impossible to understand a father's love for his children until you have kids. And I really do believe that it's impossible to know the kind of love we can have for our children apart from experiencing God's love in our life. I love my children. And my children have messed up. My children have blown it. My children have broken my heart. My children have made decisions that have hurt them. But I never stopped loving them. I couldn't. I, I, I couldn't stop loving them if I wanted to. And, and here's what the Bible says. If we being sinful, want to do good things. In other words, if, if we want to love our children and pour our love out on our children, then how much more does our Father in heaven want to pour out His love on us? He's our everlasting Father. He'll never leave you. He'll never walk out on you. He'll never turn His back on you. He gives direction for every decision. He gives peace for every storm. He gives care in every circumstance. But finally, he gives peace in every problem because he is the Prince of Peace. And listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't miss what Jesus said. He said the peace that he gives, you're not going to find in this world. And yet that's what some of us are doing. We, we have this idea that if we get the right job, we're going to have peace. If, if we build up our 401k enough, we're going to have peace. If we get into the right relationship, we're going to have peace. If we find the right combination of substances, we're going to have peace. And yet Jesus said that I'm going to give you a peace that you're not going to find in this world. The truth of the matter is you're never going to find peace in the things of this world. In Philippians 4, Paul said this. He said, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God's peace is beyond our ability to understand. We can't fathom. I had read that passage a thousand times. And I knew it was true. But I never experienced it until that day. Back in May when my son died. And on the most horrific day of my life. 
God, somehow, some way, gave me a peace that I couldn't understand. It was beyond explanation. And he still is. It doesn't mean I don't grieve. It doesn't mean I don't hurt. It doesn't mean that I don't even have questions. But it means that in the midst of it all, he has given me peace. And notice what it says in Philippians. It says, his peace will guard your heart and your mind. Jesus said in John 14, the peace I give is peace of mind and peace of heart. Heart and mind. Why those two things? Well, have you ever stopped to consider that that's where the battles are fought? Paul told us to be transformed by the renewing of our what? Our mind. Solomon told us to guard our heart because our heart is the wellspring of life. In other words, it's our heart from which all of our desires and wishes and wants flow and so listen if God's peace is living in us then he is guarding our mind and he is guarding our heart as the enemy attacks us and the enemy is going to attack us and listen those four names those four things those are just four things that Jesus the child that would be born, the son that would be given, Jesus gives to us. He gives us direction. He gives us strength. He gives us care. He gives us peace no matter what we're going through. And yet, those are four of 700 names and titles that describe Jesus. And those 700... They can't adequately describe Jesus. I mean, why would you not want him? Why would you not want to trust him? I mean, if he is the wonderful counselor, if he is the mighty God that gives you strength in every storm, if he is the everlasting father that will care for you regardless of what you're going through, and if he is the prince of peace that can give you peace that passes our ability to understand, why wouldn't you want to give your life to him? Why wouldn't you? S.M. Lockridge is, is a black pastor that he can preach. He can just flat out preach. And, and one of his famous sermons is called, That's My King. And he has this part in the sermon that is just amazing. It's, it's a part of the sermon where he describes Jesus. And there's no way I can do it justice. So I want you to listen to S.M. Lockridge as he talks about our king. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely 
sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his firm is right. I wish I could describe him. But yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him. And you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Oh, do you know him? That's my king. That can be your king. But, but understand, all of those descriptions of Jesus, they're just a partial description. Jesus is more than your mind can imagine. Oh, do you know him? And understand, there's a difference between knowing about him in your head Knowing him in your heart. You see, some of us know about him. But when you know him in your heart, it changes everything. It changes how you think. It changes how you act. It changes what you want. It changes your hopes and dreams. It changes how you look to the future. It changes how you look at the past. When you know him, it changes everything. You see, our king will give us direction. He will give us strength. He will give us care. He will give us peace. And he will give us so much more. But for you to experience.
experience those things, you've got to know Him. You've got to surrender. Trust Him with your life. You've got to believe that regardless of what culture tells you and society tells you and even your own mind and heart tells you that He knows best and He loves you. You've got to trust Him. And so I want you to bow your head with me. And I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, your life has never been changed, transformed, because Jesus is in your heart, what the Bible calls born again, then I want to encourage you this morning to humble yourself to him. Acknowledge your need. Ask him to save you and give him your life. You can pray this simple prayer if you mean it with all your heart. You, you can pray this prayer now. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning humbly acknowledging my sin. I've rebelled against you. I've lived independent of you. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I know you love me. You came to this earth as a baby. You lived a perfect life. You died on a cross to pay for my sins. You rose from the grave defeating death so that I could live forever. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Trusting you with my life. Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. Come into my heart. Save me. Change me. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.